Check, check, check. Number three. This is episode number three of the Don't Start a Band podcast. I'm going to start it off like I have been with the backseaters dates we have coming up. September 27th at Moe's Barbecue, we will be playing our songs that we wrote and eating some of the best barbecue food in Denver, in my opinion. Uh, if you know of a better place, please hit me up and tell me where because I love good barbecue. October 5th, we'll be playing at Solid Grounds Coffee House. So come on down. It's free and get some coffee and or tea and enjoy our acoustic coffee house vibes. And then October 14th, we will be playing a benefit show for Colin and Patrick at Herman's Hideaway. Um, Please come down and support the local bands on the bill and support most of all this amazing cause the proceeds from the ticket sales will be going to patrick and his family for his hospital bills and to colin's family today i'm going to be doing something a little different i had an idea that i wanted to sit down with the catalog of music that I have contributed to throughout the years from when I started in my first band, Epic Stand, to now in the Backseaters, um, some of the early Backseaters demos that I did. Um, It's going to be kind of a reaction video, but it's mostly just going to be me bragging about how far I've come or how far I've digressed in your guys' opinion. So I guess we're going to find out. Don't start a band podcast. Cue the music. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Don't Start a Band podcast, episode number three. I had a good idea for this one. Well, what I thought it was a good idea. It was a fun idea that I would walk everybody through the discography of my musical career. I'm going to start with Epic Stand, which was my first band um, back when I was... I think I was 13 or 14 years old, and I'm going to take it all the way through to the Backseaters of today, and I'm even going to show some Backseaters demos that I have and um, songs from all the bands that I played with along the way. So, we're going to start with Epic Stand. I think this song was called Life on the Edge. I'm not 100% sure, but... It was written by me and this kid, Evan, and we shared vocals on it. Um, We kind of did like a back and forth type thing. Um, Might be a little hard to listen to for a couple reasons. One, because that was my first time really singing 
two, because the sound is coming off of a laptop, and three, because the recordings weren't the best. So I'm not going to name any names, but if the guy who recorded us then hears this, you did a good job when it first came out. Um, I'm sure you've gotten better. So this is Epic Stand, Life on the Edge. No, that's not the one. All right, here we go. Life on the Edge, dueling vocals. I sing the first part, and then Evan and I switch off. So I'll do one, he'll do the next one, then I go, then he goes, and you get the point. So, right here. I mentioned in the first episode that I was pretty obsessed with Blink-182 and singing like Tom DeLonge was a very high priority for me in my first band. Um, so the inflections in my voice, um, you can thank Tom DeLonge for that. This was our punk song, super punk. We even talk about how punk we are. Rise above. <laughs> this is my first time singing, so I just want to keep bringing that up over and over and over again, just in case any of you are thinking about coming to see the backseaters nowadays. I've gotten a little bit better. I think this is the first part where we talk about how punk we are. I'm a punk and I'll say what I have to say. You know what? When you're 14, that's pretty punk rock. So after this chorus, my favorite part of this whole song, I'm going to stop it right there. My favorite part of this whole song is it says the clock is running faster than we can drive. At this time, we couldn't drive, so um, the lyrics were dishonest, I guess. So I'm pretty sure Evan wrote that part. <laughs> All right. Clock is running faster than we can drive. Dylan Luck was our bass player, and you know what? For being 14, that kid could rip on the bass. Big Les Claypool, Les Claypool fan. That's my favorite part.
punk rock. Alright. Now we're gonna play. I wanna show you guys the first love song that um that I ever co-wrote. It was called Ghost. I guess you could call it our hit. No, our hit was actually a song called Thumbtack Heart Attack, which originally we started in Epic Stand, but I carried it over to Writing Right, and I'm definitely gonna show you guys that song because I still love it to this day. So this is Ghost. I don't really sing a lot in this one. drums though this was our first time my first time ever recording and it was in a guy's basement and had I known then how many times I would be recording in someone's basement I might not have been so excited, but it was awesome at the time because I'd never listened back to myself playing drums. And uh, it's kind of like when you talk into a microphone, you hear a recording of your voice. It's always really unnerving the first time you hear your voice on a recording. Skip to my favorite part. Alright, here we go. This is the big rock explosion coming up right here. There's a possibility I was a better drummer back then than I am today, just because I don't get to play as often. Is it sad or just kind of cute that I remember all the words? Or is it just because we played this song a hundred times? See, a lot of people, when they're looking back on this stuff, and I do it too, you get nostalgic about listening to old music and thinking back to those times. Like, I can remember uh, we played in this place called The Loft in Colorado Springs, and it was literally someone's loft. And they had like a little stage built into it. And I just remember being a little disenchanted because as we were playing, I noticed somebody was making spaghetti. Um, but we actually opened for Lola Black back then in 2008, 2009, I think. Kind of crazy. And then this was the last song Epic Stand ever wrote. Oh, young love. It's called Hold You Close. Evan actually went on to record it himself, um, but we uh, 
wrote it and set the structure when we were Epic Stained. Evan, if you're watching this, you done good. The auto-tune was a little crazy. actually loved this song so much that I listened to it for a couple years after we put it out. There's something about it. And you know, for being 14, 15 years old, it's pretty okay. Okay. All right, now that brings us to Riding Right. Epic Stand ended because Evan moved to Egypt, and by then we had some other guys in the band who, uh, you know, the band, as cocky as this sounds to say it, it was Evan and I. We wrote the songs and we sang them and all that good stuff. So when Evan moved to Egypt, it was basically over. And by this time, I had already gone through my freshman and sophomore year of high school. And I had met a guy named Jay Scheit and another cool cat named Garrick Franz. Uh, Garrick, if you listen to this, I called you a cool cat because that's something you would say. Um, but we started writing right. Um, we played a couple of old Epic Stand unrecorded songs. Um, but this band was super important to me because it was the first time working with Garrick. He was one of the best lyricists I had met at that time. And it kind of taught me that there's really no boundaries when you're writing lyrics and things can get, um, you can write things a little off color and weird. Uh, a band that I would suggest if you want to hear some really good kind of um, different lyrics is a band called The Hold Steady. A uh, guy named Craig Finn. Just the lyrics that he writes, they're so... It's a story for sure, but just the concepts that they come up with, it, it's not just all about a guy and a girl and a breakup or a what have you. So... First song on here is Cell Phones Are So 2010. And at the time, that seemed, you know, pretty normal. It was 2010. Looking back, that was fucking eight years ago. So this is, uh, you know, it's an artifact for sure. So Cell Phones Are So 2010. And in this band as well, see, I was a big fan of Aaron Gillespie from Under Oath. So in this band, I also... Uh, shared vocals with Garrick so cell phones I think I sang most of this one for those of you just listening I just itched my mustache that's what that noise was and this was recorded with the same guy who recorded Epic Stand I don't know if you'll notice, but uh, I got a little bit better at singing. 
I definitely tried a lot harder. By this time, see the thing is, by this time I was driving, so I was spending time in the car by myself, and that's when I really just belted it out, so. See, it's a little bit better, and I was playing drums and singing at the same time. That's fucking hard. Anybody who does it, you know that it's fucking hard, so give a guy a break. When we get to Express Line, uh, that's when I was at my peak of playing drums and singing at the same time. Oh shit. Here's a chorus. Still talking about holding hands. I still love these songs. Jay, Garrick, you guys want to get together and do a reunion? I know that none of us probably remember half the songs we had, but it could be a good time. Jay does shit with computers now. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met. And Garrick is... He was in a band called People on Sunday, and now his band is called The Frunz, named after his last name, Garrick Frunz. Pretty cool. Let's get to the bridge. See, my favorite part when writing songs is the bridge. That's when, like... That's when you get the most melodic, and something about writing bridges has always been my favorite. If you listen to even backseater songs, you'll notice that I try my hardest when writing the bridge. And Garrick, actually, he sings in this part as well. Again, I'll say those drums, though. I don't know if you can tell, but there's no auto-tune. And for those of you just listening, I apologize that the sound is coming off a laptop. When we get those sponsors and shit for the podcast, and we make a little bit of money, you know? And get some good sound. Uh, anybody who's good with computers and doing shit like that always need an engineer. So, and the next song I'm going to show you guys is a song called "Vinegar." This was one of my favorites. Rhythmically, lyrically, everything about it was pleasant it was nice to play and i really liked it and garrick sings this one so i got to really go ham on the drums and it talks about being a loser which is cool have you guys noticed that being a loser and emo and like being not a cool kid is actually the cool thing nowadays i know there's been phases like that but Oh, I guess I sing in this one. Never make it, make it, make it. 
I don't know what we were gonna make it out of, but Fun fact, when I'd say the, we'll never make it, make it, live I would say, we'll never make it naked. It was like a little joke to myself. It'd always make me laugh and then fuck up the drums. And if you were wondering, Writing Right is not on iTunes or Spotify. I have the last... Actually, you know, there's some people out there who could probably burn you a CD if people do that. Or uh, if you're interested, just hit me up on Instagram. I might be able to send you a Dropbox link. And at this part with the ding... We all used to stop, and they would all flip their arm for those of you who can't see it. They would act like they were hitting the ride symbol with me. It was like a coordinated dance move. Um, it was a little cheesy. We also used to cover uh, Blister in the Sun by the Violent Femmes, and we did this thing when it got super quiet. Um, that Jay and Garrick at the front of the stage would start kind of running in place, whispering the lyrics. I don't know why we did that, but it was our thing. We also wore white V-necks and black skinny jeans. And it's kind of funny, Garrick did this whole, the vocals for this song in one take. And at this point, he, uh, I gotta pause it. So at this point, he had like belted out that, you know, going into the bridge right there and he had belted it out and he was shaking and he was dancing, getting that vibrato and just going, going, going. And Jay and I were just sitting on the couch in that studio laughing our asses off, trying to be so quiet, but we were watching him and it was the best thing we'd ever seen. Um, just cause... Garrick's kind of a quiet person, so for him to get loud, it was a little unnatural, so it was, uh, it was hilarious. Garrick, I love you. And you can actually hear it at the end of this song. I hope it's loud enough. You can hear him say, that was hard, and you can hear me in my wheezy, high-pitched laugh. Let's see. That's the best part of that whole four song EP. It was just him. That was hard, but he did it all in one take. So kudos to Garrick. This next song, I'm just going to go through all four of these songs because they were fucking badass and I still love them to this day. This song was called Mad Lib. Um, we started writing it in Epic Stand, but finished it, perfected it, and uh, made it a hit in writing right.
And the whole song is about kind of, I think it's about being done with somebody and just filling in the blanks. I'll show you in the chorus. Here we go. That's basically the song. And uh, this was the hit, Thumbtack Heart Attack. Um, it was our favorite song to play. And from what we gathered from other people, it was their favorite song as well. And it was always our closing song. Fun little story too. Um, it was our closing song and everybody knew it was our closing song. But the first time I ever played at the Marquee Theater in Denver, I booked it. It was with Writing Right. I was 17 at the time, and everybody knew that we played Thumbtack Heart Attack last. And so we go, this is our last song. Thank you guys. Good night. And uh, they made up some little riff, and they started playing it. And we started singing, and I still say this for sound check. Um, started singing firm parts, body parts, five day abs because my mom had a uh, workout video that said that on it. So we made up this little half a song, kind of faking people out, making them think that we had gotten rid of Thumbtack Heart Attack. This is the chorus. Baby, where you at? You know, I said all that shit about the lyrics being so important and everything like that. But Thumbtack Heart Attack was one of those songs that we started to write in Epic Stand. So um, if you want to blame anybody for the baby where you at lyrics, you can blame me for that one. We used to play a breakdown at the end of this song as well. Such a fun song. Here's the breakdown. Coming up. Here it comes. Right here. So yeah, that was uh, Thumbtack Heart Attack, the complete recorded discography of Writing Right. Uh, if you get a chance, though, just because I love it so much, People on Sunday had a song called Bad Actors, and 
I know it's on iTunes and you should definitely go check it out because it's a killer song. I'll just play like two seconds of it. But this dude, uh, Cody and Garrick wrote the lyrics. I think they both wrote the lyrics. The lyrics are perfect. The song is perfect. I guess I should have asked Garrick for permission. I'm promoting it. Hold on, I just want to play that part. But that band had nothing to do with me, so um, I should probably stop playing their music. And then, writing right disbanded because of inner turmoil and all kinds of goofy shit and the host club was the next band that i was in um i got hooked up with them via craigslist and i didn't record this album with them um one of my good friends zach white recorded the drums on this album but uh i remember writing some of the lyrics with them um, which was, they are really good songwriters. So I'm just going to play um, one song from that, um, from that album. It's called Reasons. And the reason I'm playing this one is because I remember playing it with them. And the most significant part about the host club, other than us becoming lifelong friends, is they took me to play in California for the first time. Aaron is an amazing singer. Adam is an amazing lead guitar player. And... Alex is a really good rhythm guitar player. And the bass player that was playing with them, and I don't get along for undisclosed reasons, so if he sees this, fuck you. That makes me sound really malicious and unprofessional, but you know what? That guy was crazy. I'm not crazy, he's crazy. So the host club, they took me to play in California for the first time, my first quote unquote tour. Um, and on top of that, we got to play at Big Gig and we got to play on the local stage before Blink-182 in 2011. And more recently, I think it was in 2014, uh, they needed someone to fill in on drums for a sold i think it was a sold out show but a sold out show at the fox theater in boulder and that show is insane because um we had like a writer list and they got us all kinds of soda pop and sandwiches and there was a guy side stage i'm playing the drums 
And after every song, he had a fresh towel for me to wipe my sweaty face on and a fresh water bottle. I drink, you know, like a quarter to half a water bottle after every song. Playing drums is hard. And uh, he would have a brand new one ready to go by the time we finished. Um, and then after that, that kind of transitioned into me playing in a band called Shoot to Please. And those guys were my best friends for um, those couple of years. All we did was hang out almost every single weekend and make music. And we only recorded uh, one song together, but it was a hell of a song. It's called Masquerade. So this is me on drums. I don't sing in this, but uh, Gabe Kitzman, also known as GK now, he was the singer and he was a uh, vocal student at CU Denver. Vocal major, that's what he was, vocal major. So this is me on drums and then other. And there's actually a video on YouTube if you guys want to go watch it. It's on my page, kind of towards um, the bottom, one of my first videos on YouTube, and it's kind of the making of that recording process, and it's goofy as fuck. We played at somebody's prom. It was actually uh, for... Gabe grew up in Kiowa, Colorado, which is a very small town, and they had their prom in Castle Rock, and I think their graduating class, or maybe all together, there might have been 50 kids there, um, but it was cool because we had lights, and they were really digging it, so, um, but with them, we also got to play a sold-out show at the Marquee with a band called Set It Off and another band called Handguns. Um, but yeah, I just had a ton of fun playing with those guys. And we still keep in touch. We don't drink together anymore. That was basically... See, when you're 18 and you can finally go to the club for the first time, that sounds like a good idea. And... I'm not saying that I drank when I was 18, but I'm not fully prepared to say that I didn't drink when I was 18. But we used to like to go to the nightclub beta and dance and not maybe kind of drink. It was fun. I was 18. I was having the time of my life at the time. 18 was weird. All right, shoot to please. And then that transitioned into a band called Express Line, um, which Gabe and I founded after uh, shoot to please disbanded. Um, the lovely Jeff, Jeffrey Duell pursued, uh, pursued his career that he was working on and he got married and Still one of my really good friends, and it just, uh, we just stopped playing music together. I've offered for him to come play music again, but, you know, 
So I'm going to play. Um, I'm going to play a song called Stay Back that we actually started writing in Shoot to Please. Me, Jeff, and Gabe wrote it, um, but it wasn't recorded, so we brought it over to Express Line with Jeff's consent. I'm going to share a little drum solo that I did at the end of this because it was crazy. I think. And we recorded this at CU Denver with students who are going to school to learn the recording arts. Going ham on the drums. Oh, I do sing in this one. Here we go. That's me, the echo. Gabe is an amazing singer. We did gang vocals in the dark. Why we did it in the dark, I have no fucking clue. I just want to prep you guys. The little drum fill solo thing is coming and just try and wrap your heads around it. And what's funny is when we wrote the song, it was much, much slower. But when we went into the studio, they asked me what the BPM was. They played um, some BPM and I said, yeah, that sounds like it. And we didn't realize that it was 10 times faster until uh, they started recording guitars and I had already put my drums away. This song is called Blame. It was the last song on our EP called You're Trying Too Hard. And this song is my favorite Express Line song. Um, I love the drum part I did. The lyrics are good. The whole melody, everything about this song. This was our closing song, and I loved it to death. A uh, little fun fact about Express Line. We had a song called... Uh, I can't remember what it was actually called, but on our set list, and everybody started calling it this because I called it this and I made it very well known that I didn't like this song. We called it Scary Song, and it was in 3-4 time, and I'm glad we didn't record it. Nate, John, Gabe, sorry. Love you guys. This is boring.
there's an 808 at the end of this. You won't hear it on uh, the laptop speakers, but it's there. And I think the Express Line Facebook is still up, so if you want to listen to any of these songs, feel free to go check them out. The funny thing about Epic Stand is Epic Stand never had a Facebook, only a MySpace. So, old. Get to the chorus. And I always thought he was saying, I'm waiting. But then when I went to sing harmonies or something, um, he told me I was saying the wrong thing. Apparently he said, I'm ready. That's me. Get you, get you to the bridge. My favorite part, the most melodic, cute part. Cute as in beautiful. Here we go, into the transition. Hit it hard. Not who I thought it was. Here we go. Drum roll. And the cool thing about the end of this song is I would flip my sticks at the end. So we'd be playing the last breakdown part and I'd hit the floor tom, bounce the stick off of it and catch it. And I'd say I caught it about 60% of the time, but I always had extra sticks on standby. My favorite part of this is Gabe would go, That's oh. my favorite part. Gabe, I love you. But I notice it every time I listen to it. That's where the 808 is would be. More gang vocals. That was a very fun band. We, uh, we played in a barn. Our first show was called Ranch Stravaganza, and it was in a barn. Um... But that was the last time that I started a band and played drums and sang in it. Um, kind of makes me sad to talk about it. But uh, actually, towards the end of Express Line, because when I was 18, I started the Backseaters. Uh, or I mean, towards the end of Shoot to Please. And all throughout Express Line, I had started the Backseaters and... I had started demoing and writing some of my first songs for that. 
and I am going to show you guys the first backseater song I ever wrote and recorded. Um, it's called Keep Your Wool, and I wrote and recorded it on, uh, I think this is on GarageBand. Um, but yeah, it was the first guitar, um, first guitar part I ever made up, first full song of lyrics, um, everything about it was a first to me, and uh, it was pretty awesome at the time. And now I recorded these ones, so it might get a little rough. Sorry. Please tell me in the comments if my singing got any better. Or if you're too nice and don't want to tell me that it didn't get better, subscribe. Or subscribe anyway. As long as you subscribe. I don't give a shit what you say. That's not me being cocky, that's just, or cocky, just trying to get subscribers. Heavily influenced by the Gaslight Anthem. Got that grit in my voice. Um, yeah, I'm still proud of this song because, like I said, I taught myself to play the guitar and it was the first time I uh, created a guitar part and first time I ever played bass. It was just a total first. Um, and then the second song, I'm not going to go through every fucking song. The first demo was called the Rebound Blues Demo EP. I called it an EP at the time, but we all know Mailbox, this was the first EP. <laughs> Alright, so this was the last one off of... Uh, this was the last one off of that demo, because when I started it, it was just me and an acoustic guitar, and once I got members, uh, we actually stopped playing this song. Still sounds like the backseater. No guitar effects. I did a guitar solo in this one. In the bridge! The bridge! Let's see. Oh shit. Here we go. You know, for not knowing shit on the guitar, that's pretty good. I feel like this whole podcast is just, fuck you guys, I thought it was good. All right, the last one I'm gonna show you that was from that time, the demo time, is a song called Rebound Blues, and it was laid to rest when I started playing with other people. And I remember when I had written it, the day I wrote it, I was cruising around with Colton, we were in his BMW, 
and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever written. I'll never write anything this good again. And I'm still proud of it because it is what it is. I didn't use no motherfucking auto-tune. This is me singing this song. You, you heard? You heard? With Purr. For Garage Band, that's not bad. To the bridge! Here comes the drop. For all you EDM fans, here comes the motherfucking drop. No reason to keep chasing after me. That's the drop, in case you missed it. Alright. And then, uh, anybody who saw the Backseaters, the original full lineup, we used to play this song, it's called Sales to Me. It's pretty fucking cheesy. This is the chorus. You know, going from playing drums and singing, because I was a partial front man doing that. Um, in Epic Stand, we played a battle of the bands, and the lead singer of The Fray judged it, and he said that it freaked him out because he felt like he was hearing a voice because I was singing and playing drums, which is ridiculous. But Isaac, I guess you know what you're talking about. But it was a very, very weird transition from, because I knew how to sing and play drums, but it's a whole nother ball game when you're actually standing up and singing. I don't know what the science is behind it, but it's some kind of two different muscles. I don't know what the fuck. But uh, the, I remember the first performance I did as the Backseaters was in a coffee shop called Enchanted Grounds. Little fun fact, that is the first place that I ever took my fiance on our first date. Um, we just sat in my Tahoe at the time and got tea. But anyway, back to the music. That was the first Backseaters performance where I played my original songs and my knees were shaking like a motherfucker. And the only good thing about that is it was giving me a vibrato in my voice. It was making me project and sound really cute. And there's still sometimes, especially with acoustic performances, that I get up there and my knees start shaking. And uh, bigger shows, sometimes my knees will shake. Um, so that's pretty much the backseaters with only Jake Cook. There's a lot of demos and we'd probably, that's probably a whole nother podcast just sitting here listening to fucking demos. Um, but now we're gonna go to when shit started getting real. 
when I put out the mailboxes EP. Uh, I'm gonna show you Offbeat was my favorite song on the EP. Um, and you know what? I'm just gonna show you Cinema because that's the song that everybody likes. And that's not me being fucking cocky. That's literally what I've heard from anybody who's heard this EP. I have a friend who I used to work with who tells me that he still pops in the mailboxes EP from time to time just to listen to cinema. And people got really pissed off when we stopped playing it last in our set. Um, but it just, you know, you write new songs. That's what happens is you write these songs, you fall in love with them, you play them a million times. And like, I still love cinema, but we started coming out with the new songs and we really want to play the new songs. And we're not really at the point in our career where we can play for two hours, even though we did this summer, we played at a block party and it was rad and we played for two hours and we definitely played cinema there. Um, but usually our sets are 30 minutes to an hour. Um, and every now and then we'll bring it out um, Colin Mulhern, um, he was the lead singer of If I Fail, and one of my good friends. We're playing the benefit show for him and Patrick. Uh, he actually loved this song and used to get on my case all the time about playing it. Um, and he is the reason we actually played it at the Phantom EP release show. And you bet your ass we're going to be playing it at the benefit show so anybody who hears this podcast look forward to that shit because um, it's going to be rad so this is mailboxes for those of you who haven't heard it one day i'll get around to getting this one on itunes and spotify but for now you can hear it on our band camp or on youtube people I don't think they actually know the song is called cinema they just think it's called in the movies and you're gonna see why and this is still me playing drums bass guitar singing at this time I had gotten my first telecaster so there's that and then Let's head on over to the bridge. This is the reason, probably the reason why people think it's called in the movies.
Yeah, this was the, the first time I had ever gotten artwork made, first time I ever copyrighted something. Uh, I still love these songs to this day, and I had never been more proud than the day the CDs came in the mail, and I got to hold um, the physical copy of the Mailboxes EP because Epic Stand, Writing Right, Shoot to Please, um, Express Line, we made our own cases, uh, but this was the first time I had gotten it made, and to hold a copy of it in my hands was one of the most amazing feelings, and still to this day, Mailboxes, A Place to Rest Your Feet, the Phantom EP, like getting to hold the physical copy in my hands is like one of the most satisfying feelings because you go through this whole process of recording and copywriting and dealing with these surmountable, uh, I don't know what that word is, sorry. You deal with these extreme amounts, amounts of bullshit and just like crazy chaoticness and it all boils down to getting that physical copy in the mail and then it's like none of that shit even mattered because you have this finished product that's beautiful and you can have forever and ever and you know I like music streaming services um, I think they do wonders for people being able to find new music but at the end of the day all my favorite bands I still go out and buy physical copies of their records and my only hope is that people will continue to do so for ours um, because I just I like being able to have the CD I like looking at the book even the thank yous I like reading the thank yous um, the artwork uh, a cool thing about the Phantom EP is we got a little artwork logo thing made for all four songs and I thought that was rad so now we move to a place to rest your feet um, that was a full-length album because I had demoed a shit ton of songs and by this time David had started playing with me and we were just a duo at this time and uh, I had had all these songs demoed and to and this isn't even all of them, so to narrow down, you know, 20 songs that I had had down to four just seemed ridiculous. Um, so we put out A Place to Rest Your Feet, which is a full length. It's me and David on it, self-recorded. Um, this song's called Limbo. We still play it live to this day. It's usually always most of the time the second song in our set spoiler here we go here comes the chorus uh. And with this album, this was the first time I had ever sang harmonies for any of my songs. So that was a first. I like to talk about the first because, you know, if you do the same shit over and over again, whatever. But, like, it means something to me saying something was the first. 
Um, so that, there's that one. The Lottery. Funny story about this song. There was a day I was working at a place called Floor and Decor, and I went to the gas station, and I bought $60 worth of scratch tickets. And I was sure, like, some other universe, I was sure that I was going to win the lottery that day. I just knew it. I knew it. And then I didn't, and I was really disappointed, and I felt like it was a, a metaphor for life, just believing and then getting knocked down. Um, but uh, always getting back up. You know, the lottery, life, it's all a gamble, baby. I even say it right here. Uh. Make you rich or leave you in shambles. Uh, there's a lot of songs on here. Uh, the first song David and Colton and I ever wrote as a three-piece, and I think this is the first song David and I and Colton co-wrote together. It was the first song that wasn't just mine that I took to them. It's called No Explanation, and it's about how my brother graduated from high school and for the life of me, I couldn't understand why that summer he spent a lot of it just laying in bed, playing video games, watching TV, like doing all that shit. And it drove me nuts because when I was on summer break and especially when I graduated, I was hanging out with friends. I was outside every day going to the pool and uh, I would give him shit. And then my mom just told me, like, he doesn't have to f explain himself to you. Like, it's not for you to understand and that has stuck with me to this day when someone's doing something that I don't understand. It's not for me to understand because it's not my fucking life, bitch. Or guy. Whatever. Uh, it's pretty fucking indie, though. This is my favorite part. This is where that lyric writing came in, where I started writing about weird shit. There's a man who runs every time it's 105 degrees. The fuck does that mean? I have no fucking clue, but I wrote it. Uh, the song's called Real Life, and this was actually one of the first demos that I did when I started doing backseaters things, and it just always stuck with me. There's a video on my page of me playing it acoustic in the basement at my mom's house. Uh, but yeah, there's a video of me playing it acoustic back in 2013, I think. And I was still playing it up to 2016 when we put out this album of Play Stretch Your Feet, which is on iTunes and Spotify and a lot of other platforms. I don't know what the fuck that was. Chorus. Uh. I 
think I actually wrote this song in 2012, which is crazy. Another one of those songs, six years old, and we still break it out from time to time. Uh, and then I did a cover of Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis. Hope this doesn't get me pulled off YouTube or whatever, but um, I think everybody and their mother knows that I didn't fucking write this song. So just don't be a bitch, dude. Just know that I didn't write this song. And uh, don't report me because that would suck because we're only on episode three. my favorite part. I'm still really proud of this cover. And then we did some singles, including Vixen, Gypsy Reoccurred, and Coming Back. Um, I'm just going to tell stories about those songs. I'll let Vixen play because that's the one people like the most even though we still only play Gypsy. But Vixen is six minutes long, so, you know, it is what it is. But Vixen has a funny story behind it because I woke up one day and I had the word stuck in my head. I don't know where I had read it or heard it, um, but I had the word Vixen stuck in my head. And I thought that, like, a Vixen was, like, a bad habit or, like... Um, you know, something to that effect, like, whatever. Um, so I wrote about it, and, like, when I write songs, I try not to make them super personal because then people can listen to it related to their own lives, and then it's just not them going, oh, this is something Jake went through. They can, you know, say that that song was written about a situation they're going through. So I related, um you know, bad habits to maybe a toxic relationship. Little did I know what Vixen actually meant. And I actually learned that it has something to do with a sly, mischievous fox, which I guess works. I don't know. But then Gypsy Reoccurred, the second single we released... Uh, that song is weird because in 2015, 16, there was a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I had a dream all three nights, which is weird in itself because I never have dreams that consistently. But on the Tuesday, in my dream, I walked into this house and it was a weird shaped house. It was old, tattered. Um, weird posters up on the walls but there was this lady sitting there and she was sitting on a couch that was like a 1920s um, like it had the super thin legs and it was super fancy and wavy and she was sitting on it she was uh, kind of skinny probably uh, 50 to 60 years old long black hair and I walk in and I just look at her and then out of the corner of my eye, I see that there's a fire coming from the kitchen and it's like a huge fire. And I just look at her and I was, I just remember feeling so calm 
and I just looked at her and I didn't try to get her out or anything like we just exchanged the look and I walked out and then like it flashed forward to like hours ahead and the house was like all burnt to a crisp and I went in and there was just a bright yellow tennis ball on the ground in the ruins of burnt shit not bird shit burnt stuff woods and papers and stuff and then the second night the Wednesday um, back in high school and I went back to my house to get something but it wasn't my house and I walk in the house and she's there again um, sorry so she's in this house she's on the same couch I just look at her and I go wow that's fucking weird because you were in my dream last night um, but I had that sense of uh, calm and then that one was super short and then Thursday the last time I'd ever seen this woman I walk into this room in this house and half of it had been blown apart um, I'm assuming by a tornado but the house was like on a cliff and the house had been blown in half so there was hardwood floor and it was all sticking out and jagged and you could see like off of this cliff and she was sitting on the floor, um, just on the hardwood floor, just kind of like sitting on the edge. And I remember seeing her and going, this is a fucking trip. And uh, I just walked up and I sat right next to her and we didn't say a word. And it was that super calm, just super calm sense that I got in all three dreams. And some people have told me it's a spirit guide I've heard a lot of different theories as to who she was, but um, ever since those three days, I haven't seen her since. And it's kind of tripped me out because I've always wondered what it meant. Um, if you have an idea as to what it means, please feel free to write a comment. Tell me what you think it might be. Maybe I'm just going crazy. I don't know. <coughs> My apologies. Uh, so the singles, and that brings us to the Phantom EP, which I'm going to kick myself in the head because I'm not 100% sure that it's on here, but no worries, we can find it. Um... There it is. So yeah, uh, guys, please feel free to subscribe. Uh, if you'd like to stay up to date with the Don't Start a Band podcast, I have a lot of cool guests coming on, and I'm super excited to keep this ball rolling. Um, it's feeling more and more natural every time. I keep promising people it's going to get better, but uh, I, I think it's getting better. So uh, let me know. And I'm just gonna... So we did a music video for the song Ground Up, this one. Um, but the whole, the significance behind this one is A, we recorded it professionally with Taylor Hahn, and B, I realized that everything I was writing about had to do with ghosts and life and this grand nature of 
being a human being. Um, and it started with ground up, started talking about the ghost that lives in my basement. It's a real thing. If you want to know more about it, ask me, I'm not going to explain the full thing on here. Um, we'll save that for another podcast. Maybe if I run out of shit to talk about musically. Oh shit. Is this a phantom shirt? Those of you listening can't see it, but it is a phantom shirt. You get the little ghost. It says the backseaters right here. These are now available on the online merch store, thebackseatersmerch.com. I bought the domain and we own it. So we have an online merch store. These shirts are super soft and they have a little cute little ghost and it says our name on it and they make you look kind of buff, I think. I'm not really a buff guy, so I don't know. Uh, For the listeners, I'm really sorry that you couldn't see that because it was probably funny and really dorky. Um, But anyway, the whole thing turned into a concept EP, and uh, it just all sounds so good, and I love it so much. Um, There's actually a documentary little mini doc we did it's like 10 minutes long it's on on my youtube page and we kind of go through the writing process um recording everything about it and it's got some funnies it kind of makes me misty-eyed at the end a little bit the guy who edited it uh ryan can't remember your last name but i'm sorry uh ryan he edited it he did a great job Um, We had Colton and Ben, and I think Wen came to one of the recording sessions too. Ben and Wen, those guys are amazing videographers and photographers. Um, But yeah, the whole process was amazing. We released it this year in May. Um, Had an awesome EP release show. And... uh, And yeah, I'm super proud of it. And when you catch us live, we are playing all four of these songs. And they're awesome. So, thank you guys for tuning in to episode number three of the Don't Start a Band podcast. I would just like to say that I am beyond grateful for all the positive feedback I've gotten and everybody just taking the time to check it out. I realize that these are long, but it means the world to me that people are taking the time out of their day, whether they're listening to it at work, um, whether they just have it on in the background. uh, Just the fact that they're listening to it means the world to me. And I just want to say thank you so much. Um, to everyone who supports the podcast, wants to be on the podcast, this is new and to have so many people behind it and supporting me and excited about it, um, kind of freaks me out because I don't want to let anybody down, but at the same time just makes me super appreciative, um, to have this platform and the big thank you goes out to anybody and everybody who has supported any of my musical endeavors, Epic Stand, Riding Right, Shoot to Please, Express Line, my little stints in the host club, um, 
the back seaters and even when I was playing with If I Fail and that's another band that changed my life completely in 2017 I went on the pull the trigger tour with them and we went across like half of the United States and it was one of the most fun experiences of my life um, just going three weeks on the road playing shows almost every single night uh, we crashed in a Coles parking lot uh, for a couple days and just chilled and slept and ate Panda Express and we went and saw that movie Baywatch which it was ridiculous and I'm pretty sure I fell asleep during it but like we went to Mount Rushmore we went to the Breaking Bad house um, but th that time was so significant to me and I cannot thank Marcus, Ian and Colin enough for introducing me to my first tour that was my first you know long tour and it was amazing and playing every single show with them afterwards was incredible because I never really I mean you heard it I was never in like a real pop punk band and I always loved the pop punk bands that had the pop punk but also had the breakdowns and I'm not that great of a guitar player but the fact that they took a chance on me and had me play with them um you know, through the Pull the Trigger tour and even after the Undesirable EP came out, um, playing all those shows with them was just an incredible experience and I wouldn't trade it for the world. And Marcus and Ian and Colin became some of my best friends. And if you haven't listened to If I Fail's new EP, the offer of, I fucked that up. The author of All Your Pain, if you haven't listened to that EP, go listen to it. It's some of the best art you will hear for a long time. Just every single song on it is incredible. The lyrics, the musicality, everything about it is amazing. And uh, it's still a little hard for me to listen to um, because of what happened. But I just want to say that I love those guys with all my heart. And I'm super grateful to have them in my life and to have had um, Colin in my life and to have been a part of his and to buy Darkly because I always felt fucking cool buying Darkly. So, um, so yeah, that's the Jake Cook musical career epic stand to the backseaters and if I fail um, it's been amazing and I look forward to the next 10 years holy fuck I've been doing this shit for 10 years damn that's a long fucking time but I look forward to the next 10 years when I'm 34 uh, you know we'll do it again maybe we'll do it after 5 years Maybe after a year we'll do this again. I don't fucking know because maybe more people will listen to it and this episode will be buried. I don't know. I feel like I said that a lot during the first episode. But again, thank you from the bottom of my heart to everybody checking out this podcast, listening to it, putting up with the goofy bullshit. Um, that's actually who the fuck I am. So 
Thank you guys so, 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 so much. And stay tuned. We got a lot of cool guests coming up. And stay beautiful. Bye-bye.